0: Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles today. I'm ready to bring you the word of the Lord. Uh, as I said, there will be another service in just a bit. Some of the folks have switched and come to the 11 o'clock service, and that's fine. And, and for those that are joining us online, we also welcome you. I've kind of forgotten about the online because we're meeting physically at, at, a, at a limited level. But we welcome those that are online, and I would encourage you to share this with, on your networks and group because we want the word of God to get out. Stephanie, I appreciate the song, the last song that you sang. We haven't consulted, but that song fits perfectly into what I want to say today and what I believe the Lord wants to say to us today. I want to go to a familiar chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin with two verses of Scripture, and we will find our title of this message within the 18th verse. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 17 and 18. And it reads like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In the the scripture, we are taught that God is creator. We are taught that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness is over the face of the deep. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over that chaos. And then God begins to speak, and He creates the inanimate worlds. And and then He comes to man, and, and He creates man from the dust of the ground. And He breathes into man the very breath of life. He he became, the Bible says, he became man, Adam, Adam, man, became a living soul. He was animated by the presence and the life of God. Created in the likeness and in the very image of God. Meaning that we we have the power of choice. We have the ability to choose. We have the ability to relate to God. We are, we are living souls. But it says here, we're a new creation. So, why do we have to be a new creation if we've already been created in the image and the likeness of God? And the reason is that man outside of Christ is a fallen creature. Do you hear that? It's one, it's one of the doctrines that in our denomination. The fall of man. Man is a fallen creature. Do you know that? Outside of Christ, we are fallen. And and we need to be lifted up. And the Bible said 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. And he became a man. And he came to die that we may be lifted back up into reconciliation with God. But here it says a new creation. And it says this. Old things are passed away. Notice that. Old things are passed away. And then it says, behold this. I want you to see it. Could you imagine being there in creation and and standing on the sideline and watching the power of God and the voice of God create the worlds? And then God, with his fingertips, he takes man and he forms man from the dust of the ground. And he breathes into Adam the very breath of life. Then he puts Adam to sleep later and he, he brings woman out of the side of man. But you know, if you would have behold, if you would have beheld that, it would have been amazing. But let me tell you this. There's something greater than physical creation. It's watching Jesus save and bring new creation life into a person who repents of their sin and receives Jesus Christ as the Lord. And they are born again. How are they born again? By the Spirit of the Lord. Just like the Spirit hovered over the first creation, the Spirit of God brings us to the cross and breathes new life into us. It's a spiritual rebirth. Old things are passed away. Behold it. It's a beautiful thing to behold, to see someone's life changed. Amen, brother? Changed. And then it says, all things have become new. Now, here's my title, verse 18. Now. Everyone say now. Say it again. Now. Okay, I'm not going to do that the whole time and bug you. But now all things are of God. Now all things are of God. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Father, I ask you to bless the reading of your word today. I don't depend on oratory. I don't depend on human rhetoric or human skill. Lord, in these moments, I ask you for your presence. For Lord, if it's human speech and skill. Lord, if it's in the wisdom of man, it's just speech. There's no spiritual life in it. There's no change. It's like planting seed in shallow soil. But Lord, if your spirit will take this, it will be planted deeply in the heart of everyone listening. And I ask you to give us the anointing. Give us spirit-inspired speech. I humble myself before you, asking for your help, asking for your blessing. And we ask it, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now all things are of God. This passage, actually this chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, gets to the very core of what is a Christian. I really like, rather than the term and the word Christian, I like the term and the phrase better, a follower of Jesus. And you may ask why. Because do you realize that originally the term Christian was a derogatory term. The word Christian was was what the enemies of Christians were saying about them. They were first called Christians in Antioch. But the first words that Jesus said is, follow me. If you would follow me, take up your cross. Who are we? We are Christians, but we are the followers of Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that mean? I think every generation, I think now even every decade, we have to go back and rediscover this because of the changing spiritual Christian landscape. What does it mean to be a Christian? For some people, it just means I'm not a Muslim. For some, it means I'm not a Buddhist, or I'm not a Hindu, or I'm not a new age. Therefore, I'm a Christian. To, To some, it may simply mean I'm a member of a church. I grew up in a certain denomination. But I'm not interested in that, really. I'm interested in what does the scripture teach us that is a Christian. What does what the scriptures teach us about the followers of Jesus Christ? What happens to a person, and when I say a follower of Jesus, I'm not, so, I'm not talking about someone that just says, you know, I think I'm going to try to follow the teachings of Jesus. I'm talking about someone who's been born again, and we'll get into that. So, so we could summarize verses 17 and 18, which we've read today. We could summarize it in this word, changed. Change a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who's someone who has experienced a changed and is continuing to change. There is a moment of supernatural change that, with that, follows a lifetime of change. To one day, when we leave this world, we'll be transformed and changed forever, eternally, to never go back in any way. So doctrinally, this change is, is at the moment of conversion. We call it justification. I will have you say that word. Say this, justification. justification. Now that that is this. That's a word that means declared righteous. Now that doesn't mean we're perfectly righteous, but it's a judicial term. It's a legal term. At the moment of salvation... At the moment of conversion, at the moment a person is born again, there is a judicial declaration from the God of the universe, and we're declared that we are righteous in the presence of God. That means this. That means no matter how many sins I've committed... No matter how many things I've done in my life, if there's true conversion, true repentance, true cleansing from God, it's as if that person has never, ever, ever sinned one time in their life. They are cleansed. Some people describe it, I feel like a load has been lifted off. But it's not about feeling, it's about the fact of what God has done in the believing sinner's life. I'm clean today. How about you? I'm free. It's like this. Romans, Paul reiterates it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And that, but, but there is a continued change. And that's called sanctification. That means... The person who's been justified will be sanctified. And that's a process that we're going through our entire lives. The the preachers of yesteryear understood this change. They understood that it wasn't just going to church or taking up the teaching of Jesus and trying to do them. There was a true inner change. Even the prophets, they would say, I will give them a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. I'm going to change them on the inside. I'm going to give them something that they can't get through good works. Charles Spurgeon, I used this little statement a lot throughout my years of preaching here's what Charles Spurgeon said if the grace which i profess to have received leaves me in the same condition i was before i received it it is not new testament salvation if the if the grace i've got the grace i'm i'm this and that but if it leaves me in the same condition it's not new testament salvation why is that because coming to christ means there is a change and I've watched us preachers, and we'll do this kind of stuff, and, which is right at times. But we've got to be careful. We've got to, we've got to make sure we're doing this according to the Word of God. We give a gospel presentation. Anyone want to receive Jesus? People raise their hands. Would you come down the aisle? Okay, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. We say, okay, repeat this prayer after me. And, we, and then the preacher will say something like, okay, now you're born again. Now you're going to heaven. Now you're saved. Everything's good. Is that true? Maybe. Maybe, but, but not necessarily. Maybe, yes, but not necessarily. Why, why is that? Because even in this world, there is such a thing as a stillbirth. And I think spiritually, there are times that, are, that there are stillbirths that take place in people's lives. There, there is the teaching of the wheat and the tares. They look the same until the end, until the harvest, which God will fix all that up. And, and I've seen people pray those kinds of prayers that never even came back for water baptism. I've seen people come to the altar, say a prayer like that, never even come back to church even one more time. So you, you have to say that there's this kind of neo-Christianity that we're in, in this decade, in the last couple of decades, this neo-Christianity where we fit God into our busy lives and, and kind of do that. But here's the thing. In genuine conversion, the heart is changed regarding self in Christ. Salvation, here's what the Word of God says here in in this very chapter. I wasn't going to read all this. I'll go through this as we go. But in this very chapter, we're bringing this message out of. It says this in verse 15. And he died for all that those who live. In other words, those who live have salvation. Those who are born again. They've received God's life. Those who live should no longer. Say that with me. No longer. I said I wasn't going to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to hound you. No longer. No longer. Those that, those that have God's life, there's, a, there's an evident change. They no longer are living for themselves, but for all things are of God now. We don't live for self anymore. We don't live for sin anymore. We don't live for the world anymore. Why? Now, something glorious has happened. My, my view of that out there is way different than it used to be. That's what I, I wanted to do that. That was where my heart is, but now my heart's been changed. I've been to Calvary. Calvary changes it all. No longer it says, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's Jesus. Now listen to this. One of my favorite authors, I have almost, he's got wrote almost 60 books. Have all of them. One of the greatest Christian thinkers the world has known. He died in 1963. But he could see, in 1963, when, when he died, A.W. Tozer, he could see where the, he could see where the church was headed. He could see what we're seeing now. He was prophesying to us, and we didn't even know it. Here's what he says. He said this, and I quote, the cross, the cross of popular evangelism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a bright." A new bright ornament upon the bosom of a self-assured and carnal Christianity whose hands are indeed the hands of Abel, but the voice is the voice of Cain. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned. The new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. The old cross brought tears and blood. The new cross brings laughter. The flesh, smiling and confident, preaches and sings about the cross. Before the cross it bows, and toward the cross it points with carefully staged histronics. But upon that cross it will not die, and the reproach of that cross it stubbornly refuses to bear." End quote. You you should tool through that. True Christianity is not simply walking to the front of a building and repeating words of a minister. But true Christianity is a changed life. It is a totally new life from the Spirit of God. It is a changed life. Your past has been changed. Justification. Your present is changing. Sanctification. Your future will be changed. Glorification. And here's the thing. If we have not experienced that change, I doubt very seriously you have met the Lord of the universe, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may hate him you may re- or you may reject him. You may love him or you may follow him. But what this world will not do, they will not ignore him. They're going to have to. What have you done with Jesus? they will meet him again one day paul paul here paul here in 2 corinthians 5 is describing that change this chapter is describing the change this chapter here in 2 corinthians 5 is describing the total reorientation of the life from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son notice colossians here's paul in another place he says this colossians 1:13 he has delivered us That word deliver us means He's rescued us. We were in sin. We were lost. We were away from God. And God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And He became a part of this world. He suffered. He lived 33 and a half years. Pastor, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? He is the Son of God. He is the only Son of God. And then it says... From He rescued us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. The word conveyed us means to move from one place to another, to cause to move, to cause to change, into the kingdom of of the Son of His love. That means this, you and I have made a move. You hear that? At the moment when Jesus came and there was true salvation that took place, spiritually, I left Adam's race and I got in Jesus' race. I left the old creation that was dead and lost and heading for judgment, and I'm in this new hopeful race of people called believers, the followers of Jesus, and we're headed to glory. Come on. We're headed to glory. Now there again, Tozer had a, had a, had a right mindset of this. Listen to what he said again. A real Christian is an odd number anyway, he says. Now listen to this. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen. Talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he's wrong to be declared right. Goes down in order to go up. Is strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest, happiest when he feels his worst. He dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep. He sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which surpasses knowledge. Sounds like Bible Christianity to me. A total different kingdom than this world. Built on different principles. Certainly has a different leader. (laughs) Come on. A Christian is someone who's longing, he's looking And he's living. A Christian is someone who we long for life beyond this world. This world no longer holds our affections. The Christian is someone we look at life differently. We see people differently. We see circumstance. We don't see the world like the world does. We see it through gospel glasses. We see it through the prophetic word. We see what it is according to God's vantage point. We have the mind of Christ. We see where it's headed. We see where it it ends up. A Christian is someone who lives in this present world with a definite calling and a definite purpose and a definite aim, and we'll touch on that. I mean, if, if we didn't have a purpose, the moment we're saved, if it's just to go to heaven, all of us we would be raptured up the moment we said yes to Jesus, right? Someone said, yes, Jesus, they're gone if heaven's the only goal. No, no, we are salt in this world. We are light in this world. Now listen, all things are of God. What does that mean? Here's what it means. If all things are of God and we have a complete reorientation of our lives out of darkness into light. One thing it means is now our, our focus is heavenly now. We have a heavenly focus. We long for something beyond this time, space, physical world. We look to the future. We're headed to a different destination. Look at verse 1 of this chapter we're looking at. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, now the earthly house is talking about is his physical body. He said this earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, notice, eternal in the heavens. You know that Christians are the most hopeful people on the face of the earth. Thank you. And the reason is, is we look beyond the broken world. We look beyond the crisis. They've done studies on, on the Christian worldview. Really from a, from, a, from a worldly study. Why is it that Western cultures have progressed? Why is it that so many inventions came from the West? And they have concluded in their study, it's, it's what... The gospel message does to a society. W- listen, I'm talking about without people being saved, when a, when a society without being saved is Christianized. You understand what I'm saying? Christianized. I mean, you know, our court system came from the laws of Moses. We're a Christianized nation. Not everyone's a Christian, but it's Christianized. Why is it that those cultures have progressed and have been invented and done great things? And the reason is there's hope mixed in with this message. We're always looking beyond the crisis. We're looking beyond the problem. We're saying we can do this. That's what the gospel does. Most hopeful people in the world are Christians. The truth is the only hope that the only hope this world has had has is what you have. There is no other hope beyond the hope of Jesus Christ. There is no hope beyond the hope. That is found in Christ Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. He said I am the way, the truth and the life. He is the savior. He is the hope of the worlds. So what does it mean? All things are of God now. It means my orientation now is heavenly. Because heaven is our home. But verse 2 says our, our habitation. And this is in the text we read in that chapter. Our habitation which is from heaven. Our home, our habitation, which is from heaven. We're going to get a new body to be able to live in heaven forever. Oh, glory. I I know I'm I'm with you, J.R. I say amen to that. I can't hit my three-iron near as far as I used to. But notice this. Jesus said, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days, I will build another without hands. So what happened is Jesus raised on the third day and we're also going to be raised after we die, if we die and are not resurrected before, we're going to be, our bodies are going to be raised up. Philippians three says, we're going to get a new body transformed. It's going to be like his body. He's going to subdue all that mortality and it's going to be swallowed up in life. Hebrews says this, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things, which are to come with the greater And more perfect tabernacle. Notice this. The more perfect tabernacle. Here's the phrase again. Not made with hands. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, I'm going to build this temple up. Not made with hands. And then he says here, a more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Not physical. Now notice this. Jesus raised from the dead. And the people of God that raised from the dead with him. The church. We become a new temple. Jesus said the temple in the Jerusalem are going to be torn down. Not one stone upon another. But I'm going to build a better temple. And what is it? It's not physical. But here's what Peter says. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every time someone is converted and truly born again, they become a brick in that new temple. We become a part of God's spiritual temple, not made with hands, but Jesus made it out of his riven side, out of his His side where the spear and the blood and the water flowed. Right there, the the, the temple of God, the people of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit was made. Our our home is there. Our hope is there. Verse 1 says, eternal, eternal in the heavens, eternal in the heavens. Romans says, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice, we rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, believers share in the future hope with Jesus. That means this. We will see Him. We will see Him. And when we see Him, we will experience final transformation into glory. That means this. All traces of this Adamic nature that holds on to us. The flesh, that's where we get temptation. Our flesh, there's, there's within this fallen nature. Even though we're born again, we're still temptable. But I want you to know this. All traces are going to be gone forever. All weakness. All frailty. Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You died and your life was hidden with Christ and God. Christ, who is is our life, when he appears, you will also appear with him. Notice, in glory. It's the hope of glory. And then Romans outlines it like this. We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. Those who are called according to his purpose, whom he foreknew. That's foreloved. Set his love upon us in eternity past. He also predestined. That's marked out beforehand. He's marked out a path. In other words, predestination is this. Everyone who accepts Jesus Christ, they will end up at a certain place. They will end up in a certain condition, and that's glory. Notice this. To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. That brings it into time. That's when the Spirit of God was calling us. The Spirit of God was dealing with us, bringing us to the cross. Then He said he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Notice this past tense now are we glorified yet the answer is no no if this is it I'm really disappointed in myself okay come on but I want you to know this text is in the past tense why it is a scriptural fact because God's plan in predestination is so secure and so settled according to his promise God is not a man that he can lie we're going somewhere hey, where are we headed we're headed to glory We're headed to life eternal with Jesus forever and ever. Why? Because now our lives have been reoriented. All things are of God. Our our focus is heavenly now. And our hope is in heaven. But also our help is there. Notice in verse 5 of this chapter. Now, he who has prepared us for this. God's preparing you for something great. In eternity, something great. But I believe in time. God also has something good for this body. Look at this. He prepared us for this very thing. Who also has given us. the Spirit. As a guarantee. Psalm says. In 121 says. We look to the hills which comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord. Notice this. The maker of heaven and earth. When you see. When you see in the Bible. When you see. Creator. When it talks about God as creator, it's always talking about his power. In other words, you see it all through the Bible. When, when God is presented as creator, it's talking about the powerful God to create. Uh, it says in the, in the prophets, Our Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. There's nothing too difficult for thee. You know, we serve the God that nothing is too hard for him. He can put a church on this build on this property. He can can fill it up. He can bring revival. He can meet every need. He can part waters. He can walk on the seas. He can open blinded eyes. Why? He's the powerful creator. And he can recreate life in us. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. He can create new life. Our help is there. Our heavenly focus. Notice when we're to pray. Our Father... In heaven. Loving. Kind. Completely aware. Why? He's above. He's our Father in heaven. He looks down. He sees everything. He knows where our paths need to be directed. He watches over us with His eyes. And He says this. Notice this. All spiritual blessings are ours in heavenly places. That means they are given by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is our help. He's the help of the church. But not only that, our heritage is there. We're talking about this heavenly focus. The complete reorientation of our lives where that all things are now of God. All things used to be of self. All things used to be of sin. All things used to be earthly. But now, all things are of God. Our heritage is there. That means our inheritance is there. Our our. My reward is there, you see. Today, people accumulate things. And they think it's going to make them secure. But God says, it could, he could blow it away in a moment. The Bible says, don't trust in riches because they could be gone in a moment. But people hold on. They think it makes them And then they not only think, they think it's going to make them secure. They think it's going to make them happy. If I just had this or had that, I can tell you it doesn't. Some of the most miserable people in the world have such affluence that it almost boggles the mind. There are some, there are some people that are rich, that are richer than some small countries in the world, one person. And yet they're driven by their sinful nature. They're immoral, they're ungodly, they're, they're driven. And there's no peace in their life. Why? Things will not make us happy. I remember that man in Scripture. He's, he's, he had such a great harvest in Luke 12. He said, I know what I'll do with this great harvest. I'll just, instead of giving it away, he wasn't going to give it away. He said, I'll, I'll just build bigger barns. I'll just store more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And then, he, then the rich man said, and I'll say to my soul, "So you, you're going to enjoy this for many years. And then Jesus, the red words of Jesus called him a fool. You fool. You don't know that this night your soul shall be required of you. But then I see another man who had his life completely reorientated toward heavenly things. His name was Barnabas. He really was named Joseph. And boy, if I could be like this Joseph, I would be doing good. One of the great, kind men of the Bible. Here's what it says. And Joseph, whose surname was Barnabas, by, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having sold, having land, sold it. He had a piece of land. In some way, God just spoke to him. And he said, and he brought it. He brought the money, sold the land, brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. How much money was that? It must have been a lot of money. He didn't even direct it. He didn't even, you know, we have designated funds. He didn't even say, hey, well, let it go to the kids' camp or let it go to the whatever. He just just so... His heart was so oriented toward heaven that He just brought the money. He laid it at the apostles' feet. He said, let the Holy Spirit use you in this and let Him guide you in spending this and meeting whatever need that you see. Why? Because He was laying treasure in heaven. Let me tell you, the rich man in Luke lost it all. But the man in Acts 4, he'll see it again in heaven. His reward is there. Why? His heritage is there. And not only that, what we know is. Look at verse 1 quickly. It said, we have, He called it this tent. He called his, Paul called this body a tent. Now a tent doesn't have a foundation. This building has a foundation. Our new building will have a foundation. But a tent doesn't have a foundation. Why? Because you can move it around. It's transient. It moves around. That means it's a temporary structure. Our body is a temporary house. Now listen, let me just touch on this quickly. Why is the Lord giving you a body? And the Lord's giving you a body because our body is the, the vehicle which we serve God and which we worship God. See, our bodies are not to be used for sinful purposes, but our bodies are to be used for the Lord. Listen what Paul said. In Romans 6, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin reign there. As a Christian, he's talking about those who've reorientated. I mean, we completely think different about all aspects of life. We have this heavenly focus now, correct? That you should obey its lust. It says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive. New orientation, salvation as alive from the dead and members as instruments of righteousness to God. Listen, God gives us a physical body. It's a temporary structure, yes. It will go back to dust one day if Christ tarries, yes. But we are to be using this body to worship and to serve our Lord. Now think about this. Even though our earthly bodies are temporary, we're to use them to glorify God. Why? We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this verse. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That verse doesn't mean your physical body. That that verse means, that's 1 Corinthians 3.16, means the whole church, the church body gathering together is the temple of God. But then there is 1 Corinthians 6.19. Now this speaks of your physical body. Or do you not know that your body, this is physical body, not the church body, physical body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. We're not living for self anymore. We're not living for world anymore. We're not living for sinful practices. But we've been reorientated. All things are of God now. So think about this. Since all things are of God now, it means I have a heavenly focus Second thing I want to say is this, and I'll be quick on this one, and we'll end on the last one. And that's this. If all things are of God, it, it also means that even though, even though we have a heavenly focus, we experience earthly realities. We're living between two ages right now. We're in this age, but we also have of the powers of the world to come. In other words, we have one foot in this world. We have one foot in the other world. We're living in both worlds. The Spirit of God in us is the Spirit of the world to come. Hebrews says we've tasted of the powers of the world to come. When the Spirit of God lives in us, that's the power of the life to come. So we're in this life. And we experience earthly realities. In other words, we're we're living with a heavenly focus, but we're living in a fallen world. Look at verse 4 and 5 of this chapter. And we who are in this tent, tent, notice these words. These are earthly realities. I wish I didn't have to tell you this, but it's Scripture. Here's what it says. We groan. And then it says being burdened, groaning and burdening, burden, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mortality, that's earthly existence, may be swallowed up by life. So here it is. The believer... Even though he has a heavenly focus, has heavenly Holy Spirit life within him, he faces life's difficulties. So, being a Christian doesn't exempt us from the pressures and pains of life. We, we get sick sometimes. Christians can lose jobs. Christians can have family conflicts. Christians can fight anxieties. Christians, Christians face trials. We don't face them the same way. We, we face it. It says we groan. Grown, we groan during our earthly journey. Groaning means this means that we are longing for the next life. We, we groan. Oh, we, we long for this trial to be over. We long for this journey to be over, to be in that heavenly realm with Jesus. Now, listen, that's not morbid, that's natural for a Christian. We're not talking about a morbid fascination with death. But we groan. That means this. That groaning means that we, we're disappointed in earthly things. That means that earthly things do not satisfy us. And we groan, longing to be in the presence of Jesus. Philippians says this. For to me to live is Christ to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, it means fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose I cannot tell. Paul says, for I am hard pressed. Groan. I'm hard-pressed between the two. But I'm hard-pressed. I love you. I want to pour the gospel in you. I want to help you grow in Christ. I want you to remain spiritually saved. I want to be your shepherd. But there's, I'm hard-pressed because i groan. I want to be with Jesus who met me on the Damascus road. Having a desire to part to be with Christ, which is far better. Groaning. And then he said we're burdened. That means this. That speaks of the trials and troubles and tribulations. Burden. The word literally means to heap upon. You ever, you ever said, oh, I feel overwhelmed today. I just feel like I've got too much on my plate today. That's what this is. Burden heaped on to become loaded down with these things. And trials are a part of this life. But guess what? Our earthly journey is going to conclude one day. And what's going to happen? It's going to be a time when trials, troubles, storms, difficulties. will be a thing of the past. Here's what, here's what it says in verse 4 and 5. It says, That mortality may be swallowed up by life. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very thing is God giving us a spirit. So think about this. All things are God means we have a heavenly focus. It means that we will experience earthly things. And lastly, I'll close with this. We have a divine mandate. Because all things are of God now, we have a heavenly mandate. We are not living for the things we used to live for. We have new ideals. We have new standards. We have new motivations. Now notice verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim. We make it our aim. That's our total consuming focus. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. We are living for something. that's not earthly, but we're living for something that will outlive our day. We are striving for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What what does it mean? It means that we are motivated by God's love now, not hate. We're motivated by love. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. We're we're motivated. The love of God, the spirit of God. One of the marks is we love God. We love the people of the Lord. The love of God compels us. We love God. We love fellow believers. We love the lost. Amen? Amen. We love the lost. We care where they're going to spend eternity. We don't fellowship with them intimately. We don't, we don't live unequally yoked with them, but we have eternal love for them. We, we tell them and we proclaim the gospel to them that there's a place for you at God's table if you'll accept His invitation. Because our lives have been reordinated and all things are of God, we look beyond skin color and ethnicity. Now, here's a verse we need in America right now. Look at this, verse 16. Therefore, now listen, these are talking about those whose lives have been reordinated by Jesus. Look, therefore now, from now on, we we regard no one. Everyone say "No no one. That means no one, right? We regard no one no one I'm talking about Christians I'm talking about how the church thinks we regard no one according to the flesh even though we have known Christ according to the flesh yet now we know him thus no longer therefore if anyone's in Christ he's a new creation old things are passed away be all things behold all things have become new Paul no longer evaluated people according to externals he didn't evaluate people by worldly standards He didn't group everyone into different ethnicities. Paul saw the world in two categories. Those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Those who have been reconciled to God and those who are lost away from God. He doesn't look at the world the same way. He doesn't look at people the same way. His life's been reoriented. And we are God's voice to a lost world. All things are of God now. We, the church, are God's voice to a lost world. Notice with me, it says we are ambassadors. That means we've been author- we're an authorized representative of a sovereign ruler, the God of the universe. The one who conquered death, hell, and the grave said, go and preach my gospel. Go and offer my terms of peace and redemption to the world. Blessed are those who have the feet of the good news. It says, but now all things are of God. Look at this. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of Of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. And is committed to us, the church. The word of reconciliation. The way that we can know God. Now we, plural, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. The chasm that separated man and God and God and man. The bridge has been built. And his name is Jesus. Jacob's ladder. That we can get to God. When we couldn't get to him, he came to us. He made a way. I close with this. Because of this reorientation, we live now to grow in God's life. Look at verse 21. That we might become, that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might, that we might become. See, and I don't believe this verse is speaking about justification. I believe this verse is speaking about sanctification. In other words, the whole goal of our lives now, because all things are of God, our goal every day is to become more like Jesus. Every day. To become like Christ. That one day when we see him. We'll be like him. When we see him as he is. But striving to allow the spirit of God. To form us into Christ likeness. I'll close with this. In 1858. Frances Ridley Havergal. Was visiting Germany with her father. She was a hymn writer. Poem. She wrote poem. English poem. And hymn writer. Her father was getting Treatment on his eyes. And, and they were in a pastor's home. And on the, above the hearth or on the wall, there was a, a, a portrait, a picture, a painting of Christ's crucifixion. And, and under the painting, it said these words. I did this for thee. What hast thou done for me? And it moved her heart. And she quickly took a piece of paper and she wrote down a, a little poem. She didn't like it, so she threw it in the fire, but it didn't burn up. And so she got it again, and her father encouraged her to, to, to publish it. Here's what it says. I gave my life for thee. My precious blood I shed, that thou mightest ransom be, and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou done for me? I want you to stand. Stand. And I think the way we could conclude this service is to to reorient all of our lives toward God. All things are of God now. All things are of Him. And I think the, the, the prayer today is just, Lord, I'm yours today. Would you pray that prayer? Would you bow your heads? I'm yours, Lord. You saved me that I might not serve myself. But that I may serve you because you died for me. And Lord, have my heart. Have my hands. Have my mind. Have my heart. Have my eyes. Have all that we are. We surrender ourselves to you. Use us, Lord, in this ministry of reconciliation. Use us with this ministry, this message of reconciliation, which is Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, the resurrection his life ransomed atoning for sin I think we should take this moment and just pray pray over your own heart put off the old man it says put on the new put on Christ today put on Christ today now that you're a Christian all things are of God would you just pray pray just pray, just call upon the Lord however you feel in your heart the Lord is leading you to make that fresh commitment to Him today Lord are there things you want me to get rid of, do I need to put off some things that are clouding and cluttering my new life this new creation life oh Father we don't want to be what Mr. Tozer said, the the hands of Abel but the voice of, of Cain or vice versa We want to be what you desire us to be. We're new creation people. Fill us with your presence that we may serve you acceptably. Lord, that we may become more like you as you're transforming us from glory to glory to glory. Thank you for that today. Thank you for that today. We bless you and we worship your glorious and mighty name. Mighty, mighty, mighty God. Praise your glorious name. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Transformers, Lord. And Lord, we pray that Trinity Life Church, that Lord, we would, that we would be what you desire us to be bring honor and glory to you in all things and that we'd be becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus thank you for your mercies thank you for your mercies blessed be the Lord God thank you Lord just another moment in His presence. I know we have another service coming. But we just pray for our own hearts today. We would become what Jesus wants us to be. People completely oriented toward God. All things are of God now. That we We belong to Him. We're His servants. All of our time, our talents, and our treasures. All that we are is his, And we, Lord, once again, we give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, which is our reasonable worship. It's our act of worship. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being a part of your kingdom. Hallelujah. Now, Father, today as we conclude this first service, we ask... That you would let this message not be something that we can get away from quickly. But, Father, that you would let this be deeply implanted in our hearts, Father. That you may bear fruit in each of our lives. And now may God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And the Lord give you peace today. In the holy and precious name of Jesus we ask. Amen. God bless each of you today. So good to see you.